Episode 9, Strength in Vulnerability. Welcome back, listeners. I'm going to jump right in here this week. Very appropriate topic for how I happen to be feeling today on Friday, August 28th, 2020. Very powerful times, very significant shifting times for all of us right now as we all still cope with the shaking up of reality that is taking place under the guise backdrop of COVID-19 with the backdrop of yet another election in the United States of America and the political games and the political manipulation that go hand in hand with an election year. And being that I am somebody on the alternative side of existence, meaning it has been a decade plus since I've had a regular sort of job. It has been a decade plus of me pursuing a very different existence within the world than what defined my life for the first 35 years and places me in a lot of ways in a pretty much a minority position in a lot of ways, least of which my perception, my beliefs of these times and of reality itself. My unique perspective is one that I will maintain grows in need a voice for a perspective such as mine. I believe there is a tremendous need for voices such as my own to have greater platforms in the present day. If only because of this one fact that I have alluded to, haven't gone into depth with it yet, but have mentioned this in multiple episodes. And that is the basis for how reality is created the foundation for how reality is created, the reality that we can sense and experience with our human senses starts, begins with our beliefs and our thoughts, which go hand in hand. All a belief is, is a practiced thought that is had over and over and over again. What we individually and collectively Give our attention to beginning first and foremost with our thoughts and the beliefs that are associated with those thoughts that directly leads to the physical manifestation of reality. And right now, in case you haven't noticed, we have, we are all currently experiencing a magnificent shift in reality. And as such, a tremendous opportunity to open ourselves up to very different perspectives if we so choose, individually and collectively. And what I am trying to encourage people to do at the most general level is just that. Keep your mind open. And what I would argue is that it is for most people 
very hard to see within themselves the degree to which we have been conditioned in a very limited way. So that even when somebody like me presents a differing viewpoint, most especially because I'm coming to you outside of the regular rules, outside of the regular game, if you will, it is very hard to do just that, to open your minds, to identify where you are blocked, where you may be blocking a new way of looking at something. But right now, more than ever, everything goes and everything is on the table. Everything from the most beautiful story for humanity that very well and that I believe is going to manifest after these shifting times in the very near future down the linear timeline. But there are also many, many, I would argue many more voices and still the vast majority of humans Their primary access and conditioning are to the voices that are telling a very different story. That old, repetitive human history story of, okay, now who's, who is it against who now? Now we've even got, I mean, I'm telling you folks, when, when you got people, when you have people even within the realms of like sports arguing. When it gets down to the level of now it's mask wearers versus non-mask wearers, and that's another layer of how we can judge and criticize and hate one another. You've, we, I, I just am attempting to bring it above any us versus them, to bring it above any side of any one issue. And to encourage all of us to focus on ourselves, to focus on what these times are triggering within us and to go within ourselves to investigate what we're feeling, why we're feeling it, what choices we're making, why we're making them. And if you do look outside, you're looking outside of yourself in an effort to genuinely try to understand why somebody, especially somebody making choices you wouldn't make, doing the work to try to hear and understand why somebody might be making that choice. And really, it comes down to understanding to what degree we are getting in our own ways of creating a very different human story and telling a very different human story. And I'm sharing my thoughts through my own story, but with the knowing and understanding that my story is simply a microcosm of the macrocosm, because I know that part of the greater truth with a capital T, universal fact, is that we are all connected So it does me absolutely no good. It does us collectively no good at all if I am spending any amount of time in ugly feelings, in anger, in frustration, in judgment, in criticism. By no means am I suggesting that I don't still experience those things. Of course I do. But I know that for 10 years now, when I experience those things, 
I put the mirror up and I go within and I try to be brutally honest with myself about my own judgments and criticisms, about my own feelings, and I go deeper within them in an effort to better understand myself, which then is directly correlated to better understanding my fellow human brothers and sisters. And I will say again, it behooves us now more than ever to try to understand people that are different than us, people that are making different choices, like genuinely try to take somebody and start small, start with somebody in your life that you know is a good person that you know, you love, you don't have to struggle with the self doubt or the lack of trust that may result when you try to examine a stranger and you start with your own network and try to go a little deeper. And I bring that up because once again, this week's story is touching upon something that's very personal. And it will absolutely, if certain people from the organization around which this week's episode centers, if one of my friends, form, I won't say former friends, I haven't been connected. This week's episode is about, and I, I mentioned this last week, and I've mentioned this organization in more than one of my other episodes, podcast episodes. It's called the Kosov Society. It is a unique academic honor society, unique to the University of South Florida. It's an honor society of which I am technically still a member, albeit I have not been active in seven years. And along with all the other episodes thus far, if you've been following the story, you know that I'm target, targeting various, in each episode, I'm targeting very specific, big segments, big general segments of our current mainstream society. And I am going within stories and experiences of my own life and talking about these segments of society with the hopes that as my project introduced in episode one, Ripple 2020, becomes further developed, that I will go back and attempt to reach out to specific individuals that are involved with the topic or group or theme that I'm speaking of in any given week in an effort to spread the project through their own networks. And I am purposely targeting the most influential and powerful aspects of my past. Also, very specifically, within that mainstream world. We've covered the NBA, we've covered big business, we've covered Microsoft, we've covered Iron Man. And this week, we cover the general topic of highly educated academic individuals. Very smart, left-brain-focused people that often correlate with holding influential positions in our society. Lawyers, doctors, business owners, politicians that are very influential and incredibly intelligent with their minds. And I was defined by that sort of characteristic 
more so than almost anything else up until my spiritual awakening. At which point, in a very general way, my long process of balancing out my entire being began. Least of which, I would argue, between my left brain and right brain aspects of myself. My logical mind-based versus creative heart-based And what, I don't know that I made this clear last week, but what I was trying to attempt to do when I attempted to connect as a little predictor last week's episode to this week's episode, and if you remember last week, among other things, we talked about plant medicine, specifically marijuana and psilocybin or magic mushrooms. And the the effect generally that those had on my life. And what I was trying to allude to last week is that through my own experience and observation, there has been a noticeable, ginormous difference between incredibly smart people that have utilized plant medicine and incredibly smart people that have not utilized plant medicine, like almost one extreme to the other. And through my own experiences, beginning with the massive levels of judgment that I held for years until I myself tried marijuana for the first time at 28 years old. And that puts me in a very small category. Most, especially these days, the vast majority, over 50% of people, I would argue, have tried these sorts of substances long before the age of 28. And in my day, even in my day, there were many, many more kids experiencing with drinking and other substances than I, I, I avoided that. And I'm very grateful that I avoided it till the age that I did. Because I do think, as with everything, there is a time and there is a moderation for all substances. But I do think we need more voices, especially voices that are highly academic, especially voices that are not troublemakers, that are not trying to break rules and break laws to piss anybody off, but are just simply human beings that are going through the process of becoming their own individual, getting connected to their own voice, their own truth, and to attempt to live that. And my experience, I think, is a powerful one because for the vast majority of my life, I was this mainstream, goody-goody, rule-following, high-achieving, super-athletic, super-intelligent, book-smart-wise individual. And upon having my awakening, my spiritual awakening, which took place at 35 years old, And plant medicine being a big part of enabling myself to make that shift with my consciousness. And then being able to not only now live my my life for 10 years with a much, much vaster, open, non-judgmental perspective perspective of reality, perspective of individuals within reality, a ton more room. And I always had a lot of room 
for people. And, and I believed myself to be someone that really didn't judge and criticize. But what I learned was that by whenever I was judging or criticizing myself and, or whenever I was judging or criticizing somebody else, ultimately that worked out to be somehow, some way how I was judging or criticizing myself. So I didn't realize to what degree I had these thoughts until I was exposed to a different group of people, which happened when I left the mainstream world in 2008 and I landed in Sarasota, Florida at an organic farm surrounded by some of the most intelligent people, book smart wise, that I had ever been around. But collectively, individually and collectively, they also happened to be a group that clearly was experiencing a vaster array of life than what I had been surrounded by up until that point. At this point, I was in my early 30s. This was a couple of years before my awakening, but it would lay the groundwork. So before we dive into the coast of society, let me state, and again, I'm not trying to push these substances. I'm not intending to place judgment upon anybody. However, what I have learned in the past 10 years is that there is a very, very fine line between a judgment and simply an observation or calling a spade a spade. And a lot of times, simply making an observation can certainly be misconstrued or twisted up to be portrayed as a judgment. I'm not intending, I'm not trying to judge, but I am very much sharing my direct experiences. And I have, I have been studying my own energy and the energies at all around me for a decade at the nth degree. And while I have nothing substantial other than my word to sort of back up to what degree I think some of my findings, if you will, hold as much validation as a more formalized scientific experiment. I, I, I don't, I'm not conducting formalized scientific experiments, but my entire life has served as a giant experiment of energy for 10 years. And I have been studying through deep analysis of my own journey and thus trying to raised to the generalities of what some of those experiences and, and discoveries have been within me. And one of them has been the vast difference between super smart people that have experienced with some mind-altering substances that are plant-based and super smart people that haven't. And just like with all sorts of other areas of our world and society right now, now more than ever, we need more voices from this balanced point, from this place of understanding and identifying what the various extremes are, but trying to speak at it from a, a middle point where you're not on one side or the other. You're not trying to be on anyone's, I'm not trying to be identified in any way, shape or form on one side 
or another of any issue. I am working to be an example of speaking about my own life and attempting to interact with others as the unique human beings that we each are. But that requires a very high level of emotional maturity, a level of maturity where one is able to examine themselves and be able to assess and admit where one's own alignments are with generalizations and to be able to separate that out from their unique character. Generalizations exist for a reason. I'm not saying they're good. I'm not saying there's something, it's something I want us collectively to break away from stereotypes and generalizations. However, in our human capacities, And given the fact that we are bombarded by more information than ever before, generalizations and stereotypes are ways that we quickly can categorize what is being, you know, thrown at our senses as a way to kind of siphon it and to make quick decisions or to make quick assessments. But it takes an extremely mature individual to be able to admit what parts of themselves might fall under a particular generalization and be able to separate that out from their uniqueness. And similarly, when looking at somebody else, being able to see what may or may not be, uh, you know, classifying somebody in a group of a generalization, but providing space, time, and opportunity to get to know that person's situation beyond the surface and beyond the generalization. And the appeal that I am making to so many from my past, many, many people from my past, most 99% of the people from my past are not part of my present. A big part of my spiritual awakening and discovering a totally different version of myself and then interacting in the world in a totally different way has meant that my immediate circle is very, very, very small. And whereas in my past, at any given time, there were a dozen or dozens of people that may have known about specifics of any one area of my life, that is not true any longer. Very few people, single digit, one hand, are able to know who I am, what I'm pursuing, what I've been doing at this moment in time. But in short, I am here for this transition. This is what my soul came here to do. I am here to be a voice of, to speak to, and to live and co-create a very different version of earth. One that is based in love, cooperation, abundance, and thriving. And that is very different than the world from which I had to break free. The world in which I found myself incredibly miserable and alone. The world in which I never was able to thrive. The world of lack, the world of fear, the world of judgment, and the world of competition and the world of money-based goals and hierarchy. Most specifically, the hierarchy. I, it wasn't until I landed at that hippie farm that I found how much 
I was judging the people that I was working with. I remember thinking, you know, oh man, you know, because for me, it was a stepping stone. I didn't know what it was a stepping stone to, but I perceived farm work and simply being a farm hand for somebody like me with a college education and at that point, a graduate degree to boot, farm work, that's, I'm far above that. Anybody my age or around my age doing farm work must certainly have something wrong with them if they're settling for this. Why are they not in an office? Why are they not pursuing more well, uh, you know, a more prestigious career? These were all judgments that I quickly learned that I had when I arrived here. And as I began to face those and be honest with myself and examine myself, I realized, whoa, I definitely have some work to do because I certainly never saw myself like that. And as I went through the process of that, what I learned was I learned what the frequency of judgment and criticism felt like, what it felt like. And I studied and I've been working with my own judgments and criticisms at an exponentially higher level and degree than ever before for 10 years. And I now know I can sense and feel judgment and criticism from miles and miles away. I can feel it without somebody ever saying a word. I can feel it because somebody else's voice used to be my own voice. And I know to what degree a lot of people from my past, especially people from this particular group, will shut off one of my podcasts before they even give it a chance. And one of these days, somebody's going to give me a chance and for one second be able to set aside judgment, criticism, and uncomfortable feelings and just for a second believe that I am genuinely trying to talk openly about certain things in an effort to help and benefit all of us, to help bring greater understanding to massive gaps within segments of our society. And the Coast of Society, I'm going to read right now. I've got our Alumni Society Charter Preamble that I received when I first became an alumni. By the way, when I was inducted in 1996 to this unique honor society, it served as the second walloping example of there are no accidents or coincidences, only synchronicities being guided by a divine energy, whatever you're comfortable calling that. God, the cosmos, the light, source, the one, the universe. My first glaring example when I look back at my life was when a basketball scholarship landed in my four foot 11 and three quarter lap my senior year when I had zero, zero plans or expectations. I wasn't pursuing an academic or an athletic scholarship. And of all sports that I played, a basketball scholarship to a huge Division I, huge Division I school. At the time I landed here my freshman year, it was the ninth largest university in the country. And that is where a basketball scholarship landed in my lap. That was divine guidance. Then, 
A year and a half later, I was left with no choice. I perceived myself to have no choice but to relinquish that scholarship due to painful, painful experiences taking place as the result of a head coach I could not find a way to respect. And no adult in our lives, of the 13 of us girls playing ball, nine of us were from out of state. And even the four that were from in-state, I don't think there was a single one who had parents within an hour. There were very few adults looking out for us. And what transpired during my short time as a basketball player under my specific coach was not positive and set a very painful tone for me going into my adulthood. And as a 19-year-old kid, that was not easy. And I had no choice but to relinquish that scholarship in early November of my sophomore year, which was 1995. Three and a half months later, I received a letter from the university because I decided I was going to stay at USF, at the University of South Florida. I was a member of the Honors College and was very happy with my academic experience thus far. And I was only five feet tall. So my future, I knew, wasn't about basketball. So I wasn't going to go gallivanting around the country trying to find another place to play basketball. I knew at that time the WNBA did not exist. My future was not about a professional sport. So it was time for me to fall back. And thank God I could because a lot of my teammates couldn't. They didn't have the option to fall back on their academics. And at a minimum, I knew being a part of the Honors College would waive out-of-state tuition. Lo and behold, three and a half months after giving up my academic, my athletic scholarship, I get this letter that I find out was sent to every single sophomore that had a 3.5 GPA or higher. At this point, I had a 4.0. And I was eligible to apply for this scholarship called the Kosovo Society. And it covered everything that my athletic scholarship covered. I couldn't believe it. So, of course, I applied. And I don't know how many. Usually, I think there's, ooh, I think there's usually 100-plus applicants. Again, it's changed in recent years. But back in the day, there were 100, usually in the high, you know, 70-plus, 70, 70 to 100-plus applicants at, at a minimum. And they usually accepted two. And it was a two-year full-ride scholarship. It would cover my junior and senior year. It would cover everything that my athletic scholarship covered. My year, three of us, three ladies, were recipients of this scholarship. And I was fortunate enough to be the second-to-last class that got to meet Mrs. Kosov of Harry and Ruth Kosov, who established this scholarship in 1983 as Russian immigrants. Harry, the husband, had achieved tremendous financial success. And as an immigrant, he felt compelled. He felt it was his duty to give back to the country that afforded him such opportunity and such success when taking advantage of the opportunities presented to him. And he founded this unique scholarship because his next-door neighbor and his brother were attending the University of South Florida. And they were very impressed with young John. And that is why they chose USF as the institution 
to which they were going to dedicate and give at that time the largest private donation to the university. Now, again, USF is a young university, comparatively speaking. It was founded in 1960. This was 1983. So it was only, it was less than a quarter century old. But at the time, this was a huge deal. But Harry would die just a few years later. So only a single digit number of students got to meet Harry before he passed away. And I was the second to last class that got to meet Ruth, who was this little, beautiful, amazing soul and spirit. And the vision of what they set out to do with this organization, the legacy that they were intending to leave behind, I now know when I look back, as with many things from my life, this was not an accident. The vision that Harry had, if I look back at my own application for USF, before I would ever learn of the Coast of Society, there are tremendous similarities to what I was expressing for my vision of my future and the world that aligned with Harry's. Most specifically, I'm going to read this paragraph. It says, this vision, this is Harry, this vision was not limited to the successful conclusion of a Kosovo scholar's education. It looked toward a future network of Kosovo alumni in diverse occupations and professions whose collective achievements, experiences, and perceptions would combine to impact our society in a positive and lasting way. Part of your obligation as a recipient of a Kosovo scholarship is to participate in the creation of such an organization. The areas where you will collectively work in this endeavor and the vehicle for your contributions are yet to be determined but you are all expected to provide your ideas and your own vision of the future to begin the second phase of Harry's dream. From my, where I'm sitting, we have not yet accomplished that. We haven't even come close. And how do I know that? Because individually, my portion of that, what little I can do, my idea, my, my vision, how I can use my skill sets in no small part. That is what Ripple 2020, my project introduced in episode one, is all about. But my last interaction at the Coso Society annual retreat was one that, hmm, in short, it was... Oh my God, it was unbelievably embarrassing for me. Hence, the title of this episode, Strength in Vulnerability. I have never been somebody that has held back from expressing, expressing my emotions. I have much greater control and understanding of my emotions now than ever before. But, and thankfully... For me, thankfully, I had such a solid presence in the world of athletics and I was surrounded by and worked with so many men in my life 
that a lot of times I think when I was exposing myself to be vulnerable, it was sort of overlooked. But in general, expressing vulnerability for men and women, certainly if you want to achieve success in the mainstream world, when you expose vulnerability in general, that has been seen as a weakness. And I was so naive, as I've alluded to multiple times when I came straight out of my awakening. My point of no return awakening was at the end of 2010. I then went and had a magnificent year in Seattle, 14 months in Seattle and at Microsoft in 2011 and the first two-thirds of 2012. I then came back to Florida, intended to only be here for three months and then go back to Seattle. But what I learned in those three months was the shift in consciousness, the shift in the human species was absolutely for real and happening. And my abilities and my gifts lie in that area. My gift is that I see, believe in, and have been living with the unseen world guiding me now for 10 years. But I can speak to the world of the seen. Now, unfortunately, I had to learn some discernment. I was sharing way, way, way too much, way too soon with way too many people. When I made the choice first to not go back to Seattle and to begin to follow my own vision, which very much aligned to the one that I just read of Harry's. More than anything, I feel an obligation to use as much and as many of my gifts and skill sets and my very powerful mind and my enormous heart to serve in ways that no regular job afforded me in all of my attempts from age 22 to 35. And I touched down in a lot of different types of employment and jobs. And all I experienced was massive limitation. However, I now believe and know with certainty that all of that was intended. But when I came to that particular retreat in 2013, I had launched my company. I had started my blog. I had, I had a vision. I could see it as if it was right in front of me. And it felt as if it was just around the corner to physical manifestation. The reality was it wasn't just around the corner and I had a great deal to learn about my own intuition, about my own abilities to see down my own timeline and to feel and experience how long it would take certain things for me to manifest from the point of feeling them and seeing them in a way that was not observable to anybody else. And in a big room of a lot of rule-following, very intelligent, book-smart, very limit, just much more limited in what their experiences were than what had comprised my recent years, I made the mistake of sharing a little bit too much from this out-there place where almost instantly... I knew I looked crazy. 
And it was really one of the first profound experiences where I could feel the judgment. I mean, the silence that came around the room. And mind you, as a student, I had been president of this organization both my junior and senior year. And as an alumni, I was a president of this organization for multiple years. I was extremely involved from 1996 until 2013. Well, really till through 2010, till I left for Michigan and then Seattle. It's a long time. For over a decade, I was very involved with this group and I was respected and I was looked upon, but I was in a minority. By far, we had tremendous number of doctors. More than anything else, we had med school people. Way more doctors and lawyers than anything else. One of my criticisms would be, uh, uh, you know, a constructive criticism is, we, it was supposed to be, it was intended to be an organization that was diverse. And when diversity starts to leave, you become very homogenized. And homogenization is not something that leads well to the understanding of the wide variety of choices that exist out there. So I made the mistake in, at our retreat. At, I don't remember the specifics. I just remember that as soon as whatever I shared was out of my mouth, I was just instantly wanted to crawl in a hole. And it was in a room of at least 50 others, 50 other people that extremely smart that I respected, that I admired, and I now look like a fool. And my experience thus far had been that very few people would have the courage to come up to me, friends or family, in those early years and still to this day, and actually try to have a conversation and actually try to inquire about things that they didn't understand, that they didn't see. But here's the experience specifically that I want to share that was so profound. One gentleman, a very close friend of mine at the time within that group, he came in the year after me. He was part of the group of three that would be the last group that got to meet either Harry or Ruth. I respected this guy so very much. He was a fellow basketball you know, player. He didn't play in college, but he was a good athlete. And at a couple of uh, Kosov alumni gatherings and, and retreats. I remember playing ball with him and I just, we were close. He's a doctor. At this point, he was a doctor. He had his own practice. And as soon as we concluded in that room, I couldn't get to the elevator back up to my hotel room fast enough. I was humiliated and I was embarrassed. And I knew everybody in that room thought I had lost my mind based on what I was trying to express and from how far out there it was coming. And I remember this friend, he reached out to me. He came to my room in the capacity of being my friend and in the capacity of being an expert in the field, expert in quotations, a young expert in the field of health and as a doctor. And he evaluated my mental stability. And it was to this day, the only example I have ever experienced where somebody, I did not feel judged by him. I did not feel he was not criticizing me. He was genuinely just concerned 
and really was just trying to ascertain the level of my mental stability and whether or not I was as delusional as if, you know, if, if you just focused on the words and if certainly if you didn't know me, it would seem that I was a little, had lost maybe my marbles a little bit. But he sat there and he questioned me and he was able to determine relatively quickly that while what, I, what came out of my mouth was confusing and didn't make a lot of sense to him, he was pretty confident that I was not, you know, a threat to anybody. I wasn't a threat to myself. And what that interaction provided for me was a guideline of what it means when somebody is able to communicate with you, when clearly they're not seeing things from the way that you're seeing it. They've got questions about it, but genuinely coming from the area of concern. And I share that story only because this is one gentleman, him and one other, a, a female who's also a doctor, are two people that I dream of these two people literally being able to one day receive any aspect of my work and my words from a genuine place of trusting that although it's very different than their experiences, although I've made choices that they would likely never make in their life to remember the person that I am in my soul, in my heart, the person with whom they had spent years being close to and sharing deep conversations and experiences and connection and just being open to my ideas and specifically the ability that I believe I have to help bridge more and more differing communities out in our world. And in this case, bridging extremely smart people with very different life experiences. And at the most general level, like I said, there are people who have been called to being a lawyer, to being a doctor, who college worked for them. They did well. They went right out of college and got, you know, either went to graduate school or medical school or law school, and they just kept on that path. And they've played within that system, and that system has served them well. But what I would argue right now, these systems are collapsing. And they need to collapse because as well as they've worked for this particular category of people, they have not worked and are not working for the vast, vast majority of people out in the world. And the only ones that can speak to that side of the experience you know, the experiential equation are the people for whom the system didn't work, are people for whom their realities, listen, I am far closer to people that are poor, far closer to people that struggle financially than I am to most of the people that define the majority of my network up until 35 years old. And I believe, I believed it eight years ago, when I put myself almost six figures in debt 
to launch my company of me, to launch the vision that I had held since I was a little girl. And as a result, I lived paycheck to paycheck for months. I have had to be in bare minimum mode financially for eight years. And I now am not only on the other side of that experience, but I now can speak to things that I never would have been able to understand, let alone speak to, without having experienced it. And one of the big generalized categories of my life that I feel is that super intelligent people, book smart, responsible upper middle class and above segment of society, people that have got a ton of money in savings, people that have IRAs and retirement funds, people that have pension plans. You all have no idea what it is to make choices when your options are literally shitty choice A, shitty choice B, shitty choice C. You, unless you faced it, you have no idea what it is when you have to make a decision, okay, am I going to get health insurance this year? Am I going to have a reliable transportation? Am I going to have a place to live or food on my table? When you have no choice but to cut one or multiple of those things out. And as somebody that was raised so responsibly, so rule following and, and a good citizen, And for me to have had some of the experiences and to have had to make some of the choices that I've had to make simply because to pursue my dream, I had to do it outside the regular sort of game of society, outside that predetermined path of go to school, get a degree, get a job and do well and, you know, support your family. None of that was my truth. None of that was my reality. And it is a very different set of lived experiences. And to this day, despite the fact that I am not only on the other side of handling what was almost a six-figure debt, not only did I handle it without claiming bankruptcy, not only did I maintain, to hold on to my vision and to my dream and to keep it on life support for years as I handled the consequences of taking such a risky leap of faith financially to fund my dream. But I now own my home. I'm a sole owner. I didn't require another name on that mortgage. I have an entire year of savings that I accumulated And I am still keeping my dream alive. This podcast, while it took seven years longer than I thought to put something substantial together, I did it. I did it through the most challenging set of circumstances that I had ever faced. More challenging than being valedictorian in high school. More challenging than graduating with a 3.94 with two degrees and from the honors college. More challenging than graduating with a graduate degree with a 4.0. More challenging than get, you know, completing a half Ironman. More challenging than all of those things put together. More challenging than overcoming twice 
divorced parents and my own divorce. More challenging than overcoming my own severe depression. More challenging than all of that has been holding true to my dream, not depending on others, rebuilding my life all in the face of what continues to be judgment and lack of understanding and still very, very few that have the courage to one, just listen to one piece of work and give me the benefit of the doubt. Believe for one second that I'm on the same level as you, just in a very different reality and that our realities are merging and coming together. Just for one second, remember the person that I am and how you connected to me and give me a chance and ask questions to try to get clarification, to attempt to feel where I'm coming from and trust that I promise you it is rooted in love. I promise you that as powerful as I was in that game when I was in it, in my younger years, my gifts lie in merging these. My gifts lie in helping us co-create a world that is vaster, more inclusive, more loving, more, many more people thriving. But in order to get there, the people that are on the top of that world need to really open their ears and their hearts and listen to what the experiences are from people who, for whom those systems did not work. Listen why it's not cut and dry to accept help from those systems or people within those systems. Because help from those systems, often it comes, it comes with either one or two things that I have found in the past decade. Comes with either tremendous judgment for needing help and, or it comes with conditions that almost make it irrelevant. It's like you're asking for help, but nobody believes that you're qualified enough to to be able to express specifically the help that you need. If you're accepting help by virtue that you need help, you got to accept the kind of help that somebody is giving you. And then it makes the help almost irrelevant. And again, that's probably not going to come across entirely clear, but the most general thing I'm trying to express is we've got a big disconnect and I'm experiencing it right up until present day with my own life. And I know that there still comes a tremendous amount of emotion through my communications. And I know and understand how some may receive it and believe that there are still broken ego aspects of me that need this validation or need to be, you know, need certain people to see or accept me in certain ways. And again, all I can say is with my own voice, it's not something I can prove, but trust me, I know the difference between that, the way I just explained it and what represents my reality right now. I don't personally need these things, but I perceive our world at large 
to very much need these things. And I hear and see and feel the call for change. We, I've said this in another episode too. I believe there has been a pretty big collective voice that agrees we need systematic change across the board in all of our systems. What befuddles me and confuses me is that how can you be claiming and agreeing that we need change and unable to see how continuing to exist and live and make choices and work within the existing systems, that is not going to result in change. As one of my greatest influences always says, Abraham Hicks, you cannot get there from here. You cannot get where you're trying to go. Can't get to change by playing the same old games. And those of you who have done the best in those games, you can't even see to what degree you're holding on to it. And I understand that. I have compassion for that. Because if you look at those games and those hierarchies and your place within them, what does it say about you and your life if, you know, who are you outside of the clear definition of your job? Who are you outside all of your degrees and all the letters behind your name? Who are you outside of the representation of your company? And the vision, and I'm going to conclude with this, the vision that I feel Harry had, the vision I feel I share with Harry, the vision that I believe is representative of the one vision of the divine plan of learning how to genuinely live as unique expressions of the same one energy is learning how to take ourselves as individual vessels with individual skills and desires and talents and how we go out into the world and meet needs and serve one another and co-create. But that is a very different approach than doing it within the established systems. And at the root of that is an extremely deep understanding of oneself. In fact, I would argue you really can't begin to have the significant effect that is possible coming together in this new beautiful way until and unless we are going deeper within our own understandings of ourselves. And that really begins to examine yourself outside of the labels and degrees and classifications and systems. And that's just one aspect that my voice represents. And it's a big voice. And I've been doing this full time as my primary focus of work for 10 years. And I am a teacher and a coach at my core. And I am also a tremendous student. And having that ability for an open exchange and knowing that at any given time, anybody from any segment of society can serve as a teacher for me. And I can serve as a teacher for them. We are constantly all playing the teacher and student role. But I mentioned this a couple of episodes ago. Until and unless 
you have the experience of being a very powerful nobody when you're low man or low woman on the totem pole, but you know you're not, whether it's based on your intellect, whether it's based on your ideas, whether it's based on your accomplishments, again, you cannot possibly fathom how much is untapped in our human potential because of how limiting these systems are and for so money. And most segments of our society have been allowed to exist within their own bubbles. When I was at Microsoft, they used to admit, yeah, we're all in our Microsoft bubble. They could say that much, but there wasn't a whole hell of a lot of going outside of that bubble. Because for those of you at the top, you don't have to leave your bubble. And I've had the experience because I haven't played the mainstream game. And trust me, it hasn't, this hasn't been easy. This, this, if I could have found a way, I tried finding a way. Because this is not an easy journey. Especially when you're somebody that grew up and was raised to follow rules, to follow, just follow what is done. Don't stir the pot. Don't upset people. Don't make people uncomfortable. Especially being raised to the extent that I was with those things as my guide. And then for the first six, seven years of my awakening, not understanding why and how I was upsetting so many people simply by trying to make my own dreams come true. It blew my mind. But I now understand it's because it is threatening if you don't know who you are outside of all those systems. And the vast majority of people don't. I'm not intending that to be a judgment. But it's a statement of fact. It's why, you know what, I'm not going to go off on that tangent. Because we're at our hour limit. And much like I say in every week, trying to narrow down what is in my heart and what is in my mind for any one particular week's recording into an hour is, is impossible. Like there's definitely hours upon hours of other sharings of the coast of society, of Harry and Ruth's influence on me, of the magnificent friends that I had at times within that group and how much I miss that and how much I wish I could be seen and remembered as being on their level, even though I haven't followed that path and being able to have my ideas as such received with seriousness. But all I can do is continue to live it and continue to trust that wherever the opportunity lies down the line for me to implement and put this energy of mine, this powerful mind and heart energy of mine more into the world, it'll come. And if it doesn't, at least I will go through this life knowing that I have done everything I can and loving the fact that I finally have the courage to be authentic and not be afraid of being somebody that is really different than what I was showing for a lot of years. Afraid to share the visions that I saw so clearly. But now the shift is happening 
And my sense is that in just a matter of months, there will be more people that will be wanting and desiring to understand what in the hell is happening. And if people want to hear the best case scenario story, if people want to hear ideas that are not fear-mongering, that are not about doom and gloom, but that are revolving around the fact that we have finally reached a critical mass of energy in the collective human consciousness that has awoken and remembered the immense power that is within each and every one of us and how we haven't even begun to touch the tip of the iceberg of what it means to be human and to serve and love one another and to create a world based in those energies. And I'm here, and I will be here until I leave this form talking about and living from that perspective. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.